What's up, Fort Wayne? On today's episode, we have the one, the only, the legendary San Kofa. Kofa, otherwise known as Stephen Bryden, is a Fort Wayne kindergarten teacher who loves to throw down some sweet raps at the brass rail in his free time away from rocking the dad life. Spending his younger years living in Australia, losing his father at a young age, teaching in China, dad goals, and the state of public education are all things we talk through in this episode. He loves his family, he loves what he does, and he hopes to influence Fort Wayne for the better through leading by example. This is an episode you truly won't want to miss. Hope you enjoy. No, I so, get it. All right, let me get my notes up here. Sure. Sankofa, my man. Hi. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah? Life's I'm, been treating you pretty good, huh? Yeah, and I've been, you know, drinking a bit of Dr. Pepper courtesy of you, so <laughs> You're I welcome. appreciate You're that. Welcome. I got the minis, though. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing this pretty late at night. Well, so we, we, yeah, we, we've got to be mindful of consumption. Yes. Especially as the uh, the hours creep to the evening and the evening goes to the night. Yes, yes. indeed. Indeed. You don't want to be up at 2 a.m. responding to my Facebook messages. No. I, uh, my phone is on silent by the time I go to bed anyway. So oh, if, I, if I happen to ignore you, it's nothing personal. It's uh, sleep. Yeah. So for those that don't know, uh, you're Sankofa, uh, otherwise known as Stephen Bryden. Yes. Uh, I know a little bit about you, but you are a teacher. Yes. Correct. You are a rap artist. I am. B-boy aficionado, maybe? Cheer- uh, B-boy cheerleader? Uh, yes. Uh, an appreciator of those who do the many things I cannot, including <laughs> B-boying. And you are not a Fort Wayne native, yet you have a huge heart for this city and its people. Yeah. Well, I was born in Australia to uh, parents who were born and raised Southern California my mom and dad got married in college. They went to our University of San Diego and my dad had a, he got a, he majored with a teaching license or a teaching degree. But at that point, and that was about 1973, there were no teaching jobs available in the United States. And so and the department of education. And so he was already in California or you guys? Yeah, he in- was, no, he was in California. This is before I was born. Okay. Okay. And so they graduated and there were no teaching jobs. It was my mom, my dad, and uh, no jobs available on the horizon. And so the Department of Education in Victoria, which is the south, let's see, southeast state, you know, kind of close to Tasmania, uh, offered my dad a job for a year. And they, they flew him down. They paid him for that year. And so he and my mom went down there. Uh, his parents disowned him, which honestly wasn't that huge of a loss because uh, from what I hear, my grandma on my dad's side was pretty awful human being. And um, then a year later, I was born in Australia. So I was born a dual citizen, meaning I have citizenship both in Australia and the United States. But it didn't really mean much to me. What, was, what impacted me was because I was born and raised in an American household, but I was in Australia, I was at a mixture of both accents. So my mom and dad spoke to me the same way they would speak to anyone because they were born and raised, you know, Long Beach, San Diego. And so I had a mixture of their accents, you know, them modeling to me the way that they spoke and then living within Australia. So people in Australia thought I had an American accent, whereas I had a blend of the two accents. And after that year was up, 
my uh, mom and dad, the contract was over. So they flew back up to California, still no jobs. And then my father was offered a permanent position teaching French and English at a high school. He accepted that position. My mom and dad flew back down. And I, then my brother was born a couple years later. But when I get to go up to uh, California that first time, I got to go to Disneyland. I was baptized in Long Beach. And then I just came down to Australia, and then my brother was born, went to school there, started high school there. In and, Long Beach? Uh, no, uh, sorry. I went to high school and everything in Australia. I was in Long Beach just oh, for geez. that brief moment, so long you, enough to get baptized, go to Disneyland, and <laughs> see you later, you're back down in Australia. So you, you had most of your formidable, formidable years outside of the United States. Yeah. Uh, I spent the first 14 years of my life... In Australia. Does that change your perspective on anything? Uh, one of the ways in which it changed my perspective is I'm very conscious of language. I'm very conscious of language in, in the what way regard? That, in the way that my voice sounds, in the way that I shape words, in the way that my voice is heard when I shape words. Because when I was uh, like everyone in Australia, oh, you're a yank. Go home, yank. And it wasn't everyone, but you know, there'll be those jerk kids who, who will tug at any difference. But it was fascinating because unless I opened my mouth, I was the same as everyone else. But as soon as I opened my mouth, oh, there's a signifier. You're not from here. And I mean, there were people, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't a, wasn't a land uh, with a lot of immigrants. You had people from Italy, a lot of people from England. Our uh, bricklayer, Sid Greer, he was from Ireland. I used to, I used to be able to, I used to love listening to him when he fixed our fireplace and just listening to him talk was magical. And I used to be able to do a pretty good Irish accent, but I can't anymore. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to destroy, uh, any pride anyone might have in, uh, being Irish. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I mean, being in Australia and dealing and learning, not dealing, but learning to craft some of these words and mm -hmm. being more conscious, just because like you said, on the outside, look, look the same as everybody else. You open up your mouth, people start perceiving you different. Mm -hmm. Did you carry that mentality when you came over stateside of, hey, I, I need to be careful what I say, people might perceive, or has that been something that's carried up into adulthood of, man, if I open my mouth, people are going to look at me different? Is it something that's always on the back of your mind? Well, in addition to you know having a different accent, so thus being seen as different, once I started talking, my father being a perfectionist and a very intense person and an English teacher made sure that everything coming out of my mouth was precisely grammatically correct. And uh, so you've got having the accent and then having this highly demanding, you know, perfectionist, intense father. And so, yes, when I came to the United States, there was definitely that perception of be careful what I'm saying. Before we uh, flew to the States, uh, my father, he was... He received a tuberculosis vaccination in uh, 19, late, late 1983, and he was a high school teacher. He figured, oh, I'll be a good example. So he got the tuberculosis vaccination, and uh, three months later, a cyst appeared on his neck, and it was about the size of a golf ball. And so they drained that, they being the, you know, the doctors in Geelong. And then about three months later, uh, one appeared on his back near his spine, and they drained that. And long story short, because this is an incredibly long story, uh, my father was declared terminally ill 
and went from quadriplegic to paraplegic to quadriplegic. They flew in experts from all over Australia to try and figure out what was what was up with him. Uh, they tried various, you know, experimental cocktails. Uh, they even flew in doctors from the United States to try to figure what was up with him. But all they could in, all they could isolate was that his uh, illness or his reaction was triggered by the tuberculosis vaccination. So he was in and out of the hospital for the after getting the vaccination for the first year and a half or so. And then in the last year of his life, when it was he was declared terminal, I mean, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion, but they made it official. Oh, uh, one of the one of the methods attempted at that point, because when you exhaust all opportunities and options, you want to go for whatever you can to hold on to hope. They even brought in a faith healer. Really? And uh, yeah, and I don't know who they were, you know, some helpful friend or whatever. But uh, there's a song on uh, the first soul album I have, and it's called RDB for Richard Douglas Bryden. And those are the initials. That was the second tattoo I got was my dad's initials. And our son, Arthur, his middle name is Richard. Mm-hmm. And that is both for my father and for uh, Jen's grandfather, who essentially was a paternal figure, Jen being my wife. But uh, when my father was declared to be terminal with about a year to live, uh, my mom, my brother, and I, we basically flew to the United States. Now, because my mother and father had come to Australia to teach, this was not a unique situation. There were teachers from all over the United States who had gotten positions in the same area. And we hung out with those guys. Like if there was a 4th of July, which is not celebrated, or at least not when I was a child in Australia, we'd meet with them. If there was Thanksgiving, we'd get together. But anyway, as time went on, all of those guys returned to their homes in the United States, and they'd come from all over the United States. And as my father was in the hospital, my mom, my brother, and I, she basically bought us uh, oh, what are those? It's not an on-call ticket. Standby. Standby mm-hmm. tickets. Standby tickets. And so we flew all over the United States going from place to place because it was always my mother and father's idea that my brother and I would be living in the United States at some point. They just didn't foresee it being in such a manner or at such a time. And so we flew from place to place, my mom, my brother, and I, to all these places. We flew to Rochester, New York. We flew to Mankato, Minnesota. We flew to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We flew to Nebraska. Uh, We visited Pennsylvania. Basically, all these places, even Fort Wayne, Indiana, all these places where friends who we developed these relationships with, just to see where after my dad died, where the rest of us would live. Hmm. And I wanted Rochester, New York, because at that time I was skateboarding. <laughs> and there was a kid, uh, really, I really wish I could remember his name, but he skateboarded. And because of that, I wanted to move to Rochester, New York. But um, we ended up moving to uh, Minnesota, because at that point, Minnesota had one of, the, uh, one of the highest rankings for education and health. And that being big to my mom and skateboarding not being so big to my mom, we ended up there. But uh, yeah, Fort Wayne was also one of the places, which is the way I eventually ended up here. But uh, well, I want to pause for sure. a second, if you don't mind. You're, no. I mean, this is all happening while you're late teens, correct? Uh, early teens. Early teens. Yeah, and- uh, we were flying around when I was. Let's see, Dad died in '86, so '84. Yeah, about maybe about age eleven or so. Eleven. I was flying around, and my brother was three years my junior, so eight. Was that, did that impact you going into the teenage years? I mean, 
I couldn't imagine losing my father now, let alone at age 11. Well, this is going to sound really weird, but it's the way I view things, is he had been sick for so long, and we had had that opportunity to transition to the idea of him not being around. Mm -hmm. He was at the hospital. Mm -hmm. My mom would visit him in the hospital every day. Mm -hmm. She would take the bus or she'd get a ride from one of our friends at church, and she would visit him. Now, on Sundays... We, the three of us, would go visit him. And he went from hospital to hospital. He was in Geelong. He was in Melbourne. He was in this hospital. He was in that hospital, wherever they had a specialist to try some new thing. So his gradual illness and fade to death gave us that opportunity to transition to an idea of life without him. Now, did it impact me? Yes, absolutely. I mean, how could it not? But by the same token, uh, yeah, maybe those tissues I will need eventually. But, uh, yeah, he was, a he was a very intense guy. And the lesson that he has left me with that I imagine if he were able to be here, he'd rather not leave is that even though at this point I would tower over him, I would still fear him. Mm. And I don't want my sons to feel the same way about me. And when I am frustrated with my sons, I sense that. I am becoming that part of my father, which I do not want to leave as a legacy for my sons. Mm. So would, would you say that that overshadowed most of the relationship with your father? Well, my dad was a workaholic. And so he was busy grading papers and doing this and doing that. I mean, there are those times that I do recall, like him being a high school teacher. They had, uh, they had like this camping trip that the high school students went on. And... My dad and I just going and borrowing someone, some neighbor's friend's pickup truck. And in Australia, we call pickup trucks utility trucks because they actually get used, which is why the word utility, <laughs> which is why I come to the United thing. States and I'm like, oh, here's, here's, here's your overarching uh, machismo attempts, overcompensation. <laughs> but he borrowed this truck and we drove to this camp and it was like, man, I'm spending time with just my dad. And it was awesome. And there was this hike that they, that all the, you know, the kids, the high school kids, his students went on and he bought me a can of Coke or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best day ever. Because you got to understand, like, we never drank that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like in Australia, the common drink at that time was called cordial, which is essentially like a thickened syrup that you would then add to water and thin out. You know, it's like, it's like sugar water. It's cordial. It's, think of it as a concentrate. Okay. Okay. And cordial would then get added to water. We didn't even have cordial. <laughs> so for me to go from like drinking water and milk to, uh, you know, being on this hike with my dad and everyone being like, like my head basically reaching their belt buckle <laughs> and I'm walking around with this Coca-Cola and all these high schoolers are looking at me jealously like, Hey, give me a sip. I'm like, no, I'm with my dad. So there are definitely those times that I hold close, but overall, just, I don't want my sons to fear me. Fair. That's totally cool. I want to, I want to hit on that later because mm -hmm. you are a big proponent, at least on social media and even the way that you live life of uh, dad life. I think you even did a music video about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is dope. Uh, we'll link that sure. uh, somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but you went and you traveled the States looking for a place to live. Mm -hmm. You landed in Minnesota. Yeah. And then what, how did you wind up here in uh, North, Northeast Indiana, yeah. Fort Wayne, Indiana? <laughs> did you come for a girl? Was it for rap life, skateboard life? Uh, let's see. 
my, my life has basically been dictated by pursuits, passions, interests. And when I was a kid, ages six to basically 11, it was Lego. Lego? Lego. You came to Fort Wayne for Legos. Is no, that what you're telling no, me? I'm getting to it. I oh. promise. Uh, and then from Lego, it went to basketball. And from basketball, it went to rap. And the way I ended up in Fort Wayne, and we can, uh, I'll hopscotch this really quickly, and you can ask a question to uh, go further into any details if you so desire. Uh, Mankato, went to high school, went to college. After college, or near the end of college, I was in a senior seminar, and the professors asked if anyone was interested in teaching in China for a year. And when I found out, A, that I didn't need to know Chinese, and B, I didn't need a teaching license, C, I was gone. <laughs> and so I, uh, I had the opportunity to go in China for a year, in China, to China for a year, and I was known as an international expert. I essentially taught college freshmen and sophomores at Jilin University of Technology. And if you picture China as like a rooster, uh, Changchun... And Jilin University of Technology would be basically the eye of the rooster. Mm. So pretty far up north. And so I had classes. I taught those guys. And it was really fun because my senior year of college, you know, having taken most of the classes I needed, I'm like, what class could I take? Oh, yeah, I'll take public speaking. So I took public speaking in my senior year of college. And my college freshman and sophomore students at uh, JUT, they already knew how to speak English. They had been raised in a very formal, rigid uh, English. And my job as an international expert was to give them, let's say, a, a less formal understanding of <laughs> the language. Yeah, exactly. Converse. Yeah. And so, like, I was playing basketball, you know, hanging out, you know, <coughs> just enjoying. And s suddenly my students would be saying, see, man. And I was like, man, is that, is that, is that Chinese? Like, I really did. I tried to learn Chinese at one point, but with... I believe it was six different intonations. Like I did just not have the knack for it. But then I realized that they had picked up on me saying, see you man, as in see you later, man. Yeah, yeah. And incorporating it as one word. And so they had learned that from me. And each day I would teach them an idiom like cold, hard cash doesn't mean cold or hard. It just means money. And, right, right. But back to the public speaking, like I had the same rubric that I had in college, senior year. And these kids... Some of these kids killed it. Like their speeches were amazing and it wasn't even their native language. And they were so much better than these kids in my college slumping through this class and mumbling through and just yeah, wanting yeah. to get a grade. Yeah, it was, those kids were remarkable. So you went to China, you're teaching these kids and then did you get assigned to come back and then they moved you to Fort Wayne? Uh, I, um, that was a one-year contract, yeah. more like 10 months, because it was two semesters. In between, I got to travel for like three weeks via train all over China, which is pretty awesome. And then I came back to Minnesota and had no job. Mm -hmm. So I uh, lived at home, rent-free, and found a job working uh, graveyard shift customer service rep. Like, uh, I'd be filling out rebates, uh, answering 1-800 numbers at Dang. whatever o'clock at night. And that's quite the, quite the dramatic change after spending three weeks adventuring in China. Yeah. And then, and then another semester teaching in China and then coming to Minnesota and working graveyard shift. But it was when I was in China that my friends would send me mixtapes. My mm. friends would keep, keep me up posted on stuff. 
like my buddy Tom, John Doe, my buddy uh, Casualty, Samuel. Uh, and I realized at that point, because I've been writing raps like goofily on message boards at the, near the advent of the internet almost, because that's how long ago it was. And I was like, it was when I was in China realizing, you know, I really want to try this rap thing. And so working graveyard shift and when I wasn't working graveyard shift, I'd be locking myself up in the, in the bathroom and I have my instrumental CD, you know, go to the, go to the record store, see what a rap CD had instrumentals and play that and pretend I was rapping or, or rapping in a crowd or an audience or whatever it was. And just worked for eight months doing customer service, waiting to save up the money. And then, uh, while I, just before I did that, I flew over to uh, Sweden to visit my buddy Samuel. Uh, his rap name is Casualty, and I consider him my uh, mentor. He and uh, John Doe, a.k.a. Tom Francis McCauley, uh, I both consider mentors because those were the two, first two visits I made where they helped mold my ideas into a deliverable format as far as rap would go because I have and had near infinite ideas. It was just a matter of finding the right format. So going to Sweden, Samuel's like, yeah, man. Yeah. And this dude was awesome. Like pretty much everyone in Sweden speaks super fluent English, but he was raised on listening to like early DITC, like East New York rap. Mm. So he spoke English like, yo man, what's up? <laughs> and he, uh, we'd walk late at night and he had his boombox and he'd just have instrumentals on it. And we'd be rapping along to that. He's like, you know, when, when you're just freestyling, you know, which is making up words as the beat goes along, you're on beat. But when you write, it's not on beat. So he taught me the fours and then I ended up recording a song and that song ended up and landing on vinyl, which is awesome for my first song mm -hmm. ever. And apparently did really well. I gave my copies to friends because I barely ever keep any of my stuff. Mm -hmm. And then came back to Minnesota Flew out to San Luis Obispo. My buddy Tom, John Doe, picked me up. And he uh, <laughs> he picked me up from the airport. And, of course, being Tom, he had just finished, like, a double shift mm -hmm. because he never stops working. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the dude who'd eat, like, a meal a day. Mm -hmm. Like, a giant bowl of, like, marinara sauce slathered, <laughs> over, slathered over spaghetti. But he picked me up. And I was like, hey, you know. And these are people that I'd known through the internet, like, posting, you know, rhymes or raps on message boards right. but i developed a relationship with and he's driving me back up uh you know pacific coast highway and he started falling asleep in the car because he just pulled a double shift and he's like the car's getting closer and closer to the median and i'm like uh uh uh, 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 uh tom tom he's like oh yeah 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 so uh fortunately we we didn't die upon first meeting each other and mm -hmm. we've managed to make quite a lot of music since then and I'm still working on music with him to this day. But then after the time with Tom, went back, started working graveyard at Young America, uh, talking to ladies on motorboats whose voice sounded like motorboats as they're trawling, whatever <laughs> o'clock asking about their tarritons or whatever the heck their smokes were. But then after saving up that money, I had my nest egg because I wasn't paying rent or anything. Right. And then I uh, moved out to San Luis Obispo. And wow. that's where uh, Tom was living. And uh, one of our friends, Brian Ward, whose uh, rap name was Spawn, Spontaneous, uh, he moved from somewhere in Ohio. He claims Toledo, but he's from a small town near Toledo. Mm -hmm. So he, he now lives in Los Angeles. Mm. 
I think his brother's one of the one of the big wigs of Instagram or something. Oh I, wow! I really don't know. Like one of those big deal photographers who posts on Instagram. Sure. But uh, yeah, we went out there and uh, worked on rap stuff, and then we ended up moving down to Los Angeles. I know this is a really long way to get to Fort Wayne. But no, is- I, I had no idea you had a whole little rap life going on with with friends in, in L.A. and San Luis Obispo. Uh, yeah. Um, it was basically connecting with the people, and I loved San Luis Obispo. It's beautiful. I have family that lives out there. I could not stay in Los Angeles. No. Uh, we lived in uh, Just, Studio City. Side note, real quick, what yep. can't you stand about Los Angeles? For me, I can't stand that I sit in the car so, so long. Well, you see, I'd managed to save up money, so it wasn't like I had to go to a job or something. I didn't have a car. in, mm. And at that point, anyway, I was fairly minimalist, so like... I had a room in our townhouse or whatever, but I didn't have a bed. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up getting a bed from like one of uh, Tom's girlfriends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She had extra stuff. She was loaded like her her parents' house. Oh, my man. Like instead of wallpaper, they had like material oh, on the walls. I don't know if it was like Thousand Oaks, but it was something like dude was pulling like 200000 a month type Dang. jobs. Yeah. So she got new stuff in her apartment. So I got that bed and some furniture. So I finally had some in L.A. But yeah. So you wound up in L.A. living with these guys, mm-hmm. running around, doing the rap game. You had your Easter egg. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't even the rap game so much. The crazy thing was like we all moved out there to work on rap together. Mm-hmm. We had a studio. And then at that time it was uh, recording to ADATs. <laughs> now ADATs are essentially, they look like a VHS tape. Mm-hmm. And so nowadays, like I go to a studio, I get it saved to a thumb drive. I upload the tracks to Google Drive and I give my friends the access and we collaborate that way. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, back then it was sending across this ADAP and we got an ADAP from my buddy Samuel in Sweden and it had some other stuff on there. And there was like some slick Rick acapella on one of those ADATs. I mean, that's how random that stuff was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So then did that not pan out and that's what brought you here? Well, it's it's not so much that it didn't pan out. It's that we never really made time for it. Tom being who he was, he was working for an independent uh, record company called uh, Good Vibe. Mm-hmm. And he was working all the time. And he had like a one-year-old son who was up in San Luis Obispo. So when he's not working in L.A., he's back up there. Excuse me. And uh, Brian Spawn, uh, he got a job at like a CarsDirect.com or something. and. Sure. You know, wanted to spend his life doing other pursuits. And so I was like the one there like, hey, let's record, let's record. And we just kept waiting for the ideal situation instead of seeing what we had and going with that. Mm -hmm. And by the time my year lease was up, one of my high school buddies, Chris, uh, he he emailed me. He's like, "Um, seeing as you're like the only one of our friends, the group of friends from high school who's not married, so you can like do stuff. I was thinking about hiking the Appalachian Trail and I was wondering if you want to do it. And this is about a month or two before my lease is up in LA. And I'm like, this is my way to get out of Los Angeles. This is great. And so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And so my year in Los Angeles then turned into, you know, going to Minnesota for a bit because that's where Chris still was. And then going out to, uh, what is it, Dahlonega Falls, the southernmost point of the Appalachian Trail, and mm. hiking that for a couple few months. Mm, really? Months? Yeah, months. I mean, I don't think I could even survive hiking for two days, personally. Uh, you, you transition. Like, it's it's rough, but yeah. it is it is possible because I did it. Because right before, I was like, well, okay, I can really train for this, or I can just enjoy all of life's luxuries before I have to go on this trail. 
So I enjoyed all of life luxuries yes. and yes. Uh, then hit the trail. We ended yes. up hiking about uh, 600 something miles. Wow. Well, the, the entire trail, at least at the point that we hiked it, was like 2,100 miles. So I've kind of felt like a failure. But at that point, I haven't hiked the 600 something miles. Oh, and by the way, I hadn't shaved when the last few months I was in Los Angeles. And so I kept not shaving when I was hiking. And I, uh, I had a huge beard and hiking as you're carrying your own food leads to a significant loss of body mass, shall we say? Mm. Like I could see my hip bones and like my ribs no and all this stuff. And then we were done hiking because it, it just beaten our souls to a pulp. Like there's only so many rainy days you can go through. Like, right. oh, the views are beautiful. Yeah, but you got to look at the trail so you don't trip on a tree root. <laughs> and yeah, if I want to keep, st- and, and this was before, like this is when cell phones were first coming out. And it wasn't even smartphones. So there was like, oh my gosh, I think someone's got a phone on them. What? A phone. And now I can't even fathom like what hiking on the Appalachian Trail would be because you're not really getting away from things because I imagine most people would have their phones and be like, oh, here's my selfie. Here I am. I'm checking in at this place. Check me out. As opposed to, you know, a retreat or getting away Mm -hmm. where, oh, I'm here. But that was, that was good. But then we were done. I crashed. Let's see. How did, how did this go? I came back to Minnesota and I was there for a little bit. And then I took a Greyhound from Minnesota to Los Angeles. That was awful. I have, I have since pledged to myself to uh, never take a Greyhound ride over 12 hours. And this is before I discovered things like, you know, wet wipes and all that other stuff and not to go into TMI land, but 52 hours, a bus ride. No, thank you. Is uh, Yeah, it's awful. But the fascinating thing is like the conversations you will have on those buses. Like there was one guy who came from the oil fields and he's like, well, I got all this money and I still got my fingers. You want to see my money? And I'm like, yeah, not really. And he busts out this giant roll of cash. He's like, yeah, I'm earning all this. I'm like, okay. And then there's the other guy who's in a fresh track suit. And this is when uh, Nike Shocks first came out. And he's sitting there in his track suit. And he's like, what would... uh?" What would you do if I told you I had a gun right now? <laughs> All like, the characters on the bus. I was like, um, I guess I would uh, listen to what you said and uh, try to uh, get away from you as soon as I could. It's like, oh, all right, cool. And, Weird. you know, just, just, just the many characters on the way out there. But, yeah, never again. So then, you even went back to L.A. after you were already trying to get mm-hmm. out of L.A. Well, I went back to L.A. because I was basically crashing on people's couches at that point. So hashtag free. Yeah. Free loader. <laughs> and, and and this all leads to Fort Wayne in that my mom, who had been in Minnesota, accepted a job as a uh, chaplain at the Lutheran, I believe. It was oh, a really? a one-year position. And she had... Here in town? Yeah. Random. Mm-hmm. And she had actually gotten a, gotten an apartment and had stuff moved to the apartment but hadn't moved in. And I had I had stayed long enough to the point of discomfort in Los Angeles, crashing on my friends' couches, and discomfort also, for you or discomfort for your friends? Uh, discomfort for me and some of my friends' roommates. Fair enough. Like one of my friends' roommates, like he's the guy who wanted the world handed to him on a platter. I remember mm. one of the first times I met him, he's like, "Man, I'm hungry, man, I'm hungry." When we were in San Luis Obispo, it's like, "Oh, I made some. You want some spaghetti? Oh man, it doesn't have salt." You know, one of one of those type of dudes what? where like. Yeah, like you're saying you want something, I give you something, and you're complaining about it. Anyway, this dude ended up being a, you know, intern at 
Power 106, like LA's big radio station. Right. So he was determined to be a tastemaker. Sure. Like Puma hit him up and they're like, hey, here's the Puma catalog. Select 800 bucks worth of free gear. And so we did and he wore none of it. And he was always like, man, I'm like, I don't know about you, but if a company asks me to choose stuff, you better believe I'm going to have my friends like looking through that catalog and say, hey, man, what of this stuff do you want? Because there's right. no way. Like he kept it in his closet. Like the first Kobe's from Adidas dropped and those were. Uh, oh, I remember those. Yeah, All yeah. gray, right? Yeah. And he's like, man, I don't want these. I'm trying to resell them. But anyway, he was he was he was the sore thumb stick in the mud that got me leaving there, and I went to my uh, my grandma's house, my grandma and my granddad, because my granddad was still alive. And, shoot, they were both alive at the time, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that got uncomfortable. So I went and moved to my uncle's place, and suffice it to say that he mistook gold bond for cocaine, and his insecurity led to a rapid exit, which led to from me being in Los Angeles to let's see my grandparents were in long beach to orange county where my uncle was Mm -hmm. and then taking a greyhound with like what was it like microwaved potatoes and uh spaghetti sauce Mm -hmm. on the greyhound in a tupperware container (laughs) i i took from one of my roommate's friends nice and took the greyhound all the way to fort wayne indiana and that's greyhound station is now i believe the liquor store yeah and then I got my luggage, I carried back fairly light, and walked down to West Central where my mom's apartment was. And my mom was yet to live there, so the air or nothing like that was turned on. It was the middle of summer. And uh, a friend, Greg Locke, who uh, was here, then moved out to Brooklyn, and as is now currently here, uh, he took me to a grocery store so I could get some food. Mm. Those were uh, those times were rough. I had I had a bit of money, but I didn't really have the ability to like I didn't know where anything was. I was in this heat box sweat box apartment with my mom's, so I finally got some food, and that was good. Then I hung out at the library a bunch, but with hiking, you know, dropping so much of my weight and having this huge beard, like what's fascinating is the library tends to be a place where homeless dudes hang out. Did you get mistaken for by a homeless dude? He's like, "Hey man, hey man, what what clothing bank you get that 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 uh that sweatshirt from?" It was like a New York New Jersey Knights like you I don't even remember what the football league was. I was like, uh, "I got that from TJ Maxx." He's like, "Oh." And because I was that scraggly looking That's funny. and my beard was that like my beard will never get that long again. That was like 10 months of beard. Really? Yeah. I mean, I appreciate when you have the beard in full, you know, full fashion. Oh, no. This this was way more full fashion. That's, wow. That's before the beard turned white. Wow. Yeah. So you're being mistaken for a homeless dude. And if you're being mistaken for a homeless dude, what what in the world do you do to be able to land a job here then? <laughs> well, I um, what I did is I I, th- I think I eventually shaved. My buddy, my buddy Tom, he's like, oh, meet me at Scribble Jam. Scribble Jam is a, it was an annual uh, hip hop event. You know, they had B-Boys, DJs, uh, Graph Cats, rappers. There were rap battles there. Mac Lethal rap battled there. Now he's some super-duper viral sensation mm-hmm. who, like, bought himself a Range Rover because he does so well on viral. Like, look him up. Like, he has done amazingly well for himself. But he was, like, the dude who came out of there and ended up crafting his path. 
What was your question again? How did you, I mean, if we know you're a teacher, Mm -hmm. right? And we know that you have the experience in teaching in China, but if you're being considered homeless and being asked where you're getting your clothes, which clothing bank are you going to? Yeah. How did you, where's that transition happen? Do you meet people? Do you like, obviously you connect and now you know so many people here in Fort Wayne. Well, you're a fairly social dude. Yeah, I suppose. Social. (laughs) I mean, I guess you could say well-versed in people. Yeah. Well-versed in people. I like that. I could be on my, my urn, not my tombstone. (laughs) Fair. Uh, I, um, ended up because I was hanging out in the library, there was access Fort Wayne Mm. and I volunteered a lot at access Fort Wayne. And I uh, was hoping to get a job at Access Fort Wayne. And my first friend in Fort Wayne was Eric Mulberg. Hmm. Eric Mulberg was the guy responsible for the uh, low-power FM station that is now there, WELT. Unfortunately, he died a year or two back. But he was was a super friendly guy. He ended up being one of the groomsmen at our wedding. Hmm. And I just volunteered there. And then I, because I was so bored... I check out one of their cameras and I had a show. I had a public access TV show called oh, Shoes and Movies. I yeah, love it. Where I'd basically talk about shoes and movies and whatever else was on my mind. It was a one camera setup where I just stare at the camera, do whatever came to my head. That's fine. And so that you were the, you were the YouTuber before YouTube. Yeah, I, I was the public accesser. <laughs> I, 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 I was not of Jeff Landis stature, as in legendary Fort Wayne uh, at public access. But yeah, I made some shows and eventually because I couldn't get a job at Access Fort Wayne, uh, one of my mom's friends, you know, one of the expats from back in the Australia days, she worked over at uh, maybe Homestead, but she had mentioned that they always need subs. So I signed up to be a substitute teacher and I subbed for, I don't know, eight, nine years. And then meeting Jen, I realized I, you know, I better start growing up and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And went back to get my teaching license. So I got my K through five. And then after that was done, I... Why K through five? Uh, the degrees that were available were K through, like, basically elementary or middle school slash high school. And the more I subbed, the more I realized I really loved working with little kids. Mm-hmm. And then there were specific schools at which I subbed. And those were my favorite schools. And I was able to be selective enough that I could be like, I know how much I need to live on this month. Mm-hmm. I don't need to work this day if I'm not getting to work at this place I love to work. And, but yeah, I did that for all those years, developed my approach to teaching, you know, honed and had so many opportunities to try different approaches because more often than not, every day was a new situation and I needed to learn to adapt and make it work and instantly develop a rapport with these however many children and guide them on this journey to wherever the sub plan said we needed to go. And so I'm thankful that I had essentially what was a paid internship. So by the time I began teaching, there used to be pay scales like, oh, this year you learn this much, this year you earn this much. And you started the scale was at one. By the time I'd subbed enough that I think I started on like the sixth step of the pay scale because I'd subbed all those years. Mm-hmm, but yeah, mm-hmm. going back, transition to teaching, and then going back again to get my early childhood license so I could teach pre-K as well. And you intentionally wanted to teach pre-K? I wanted to teach at Whitney Young. Oh, okay. So it was the school that drove the decision, not necessarily the the age the teaching of said age group. Well, teaching a said age group made a big difference, but in all my experiences working within Fort Wayne Community Schools, because that was the district. I mean, I tried high school. Mm-hmm. I tried middle school. 
And I just realized I love to work with little kids and the atmosphere, the environment of Whitney Young, at, even at that point, was so vastly different from any other place. And the way the staff interacted with each other, I didn't even know who the principal was hmm. until like I was subbing there for a couple few years because it wasn't, there wasn't fear, there wasn't deference, there was collegiality. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that environment. We're here for the children. Mm. Not that other schools weren't, but it was no, just. No, but if it, more it was, Yeah, it, was, it stuck out to me so much and made such an impression on me that I was like, man, if, I, if and when I get my teaching license, I really hope I get a job here. So when you, I mean, if that's sticking out to you so much as a teacher and wanting to lead in uh, early childhood education, lead kids, I'm assuming you take some of that into parenting, but I, I'm also assuming that you hope that for every kid especially with the state of education right now? Well, I will say that I'm thankful for all the years before I was a parent that I got to work with kids. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, expectations, boundaries, consistency, being firm without, uh, you know, bringing down the fear of God, you know, not, not some old Testament stuff. Although Mm -hmm. unfortunately every once in a while, the, the voice of evil will emanate from my soul and, (laughs) <laughs> rattle the rattle the bones of my sons. But, do you like having sons? Do you do you wish you had a daughter? Uh, honestly, and this is going to sound awful. I am so thankful that I have sons. That we have sons because it is so much easier. The expectations are so much lower to be a boy than it is to be a girl. Explain. There are so many demands upon women. Mm-hmm. And there are so many demands on, as we uh, alluded to in an earlier conversation before we started recording, about the pressure on young girls mm-hmm. and the pressure to conform. And that for guys, it's okay to express your frustration in a, in a physical way as opposed to inwardly and it eating away at the insides. And just the expectations of girls are so much more. And even on a like, I didn't ever want to have a child where it's like, oh, we're going to put that headband on with the bow so you know the gender of the child. Mm-hmm. It's a baby. It's growing. Mm-hmm. Let it grow. Treat it with respect. Have conversations with it. It will pick up everything. And then some, all the stuff you wanted to pick up and some of the stuff you wish you didn't say. Mm-hmm. And that will be the mirror to guide. Yeah. That's crazy. So- and then I feel like this is a good time to segue into, into hashtag dad life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've written raps about being a dad. You love being a dad, it seems. Uh, what does dad life mean to you? I mean, you've hinted about forming those years, not being overbearing, treating said kid with respect. Uh, but if, I also feel like you have a, you do dad life well, but in a special way. Uh, the way that's, Our family is set up. Jen has the big job. You know, her being a principal. I'm a teacher. Was she your boss at one point? Uh, No, she was never my boss. So there was never that weird boss? No, uh, she's... I would have to say she is the home boss. She, <laughs> That's fair. She, yes, I get it. Not, not a formal boss, but an informal boss. In yes. a good way, too. I will defer to her. I will acquiesce. Uh, I, it is my role as she is, you know, at work. And mm-hmm. her job is so demanding. And mm-hmm. just hearing about how demanding her job is. Like teaching in itself is the the perpetually undone is what I call it. Because there are always, and as time goes on with legislation and everything else, 
as supports are taken away, expectations are higher and higher for teachers. You need to do this. So what is happening in pre-K might have been happening years ago in like first grade. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got to get them. We got to get them ready sooner. We got to do this. Why? Why though? Why not just let the kids grow? Uh, there's not money in it. That's you don't. Sad. You don't. You don't let kids grow by not measuring them. You want all this data. The people that have the data, Bill Gates, he owns Insight. Insight oversees Dibbles. Dibbles is one of the main main proprietors of uh, standardized testing. And what's crazy is one of my high school buddies, Kevin Filter, he actually studied with the professor who developed Dibbles. Mm-hmm. And it's there's money to be made in measuring children and having the access to those data points. Future prison construction is based on third grade standardized test scores, in part. What? No. Okay. So we had, I'm sorry, we had a whole list of things that we were going to discuss. Mm-hmm. This is insane. Explain. Third grade test scores, prison. Yeah. yeah. Well, where is money to be made? Money is to be made in privatization. Mm-hmm. Utilizing tax dollars. How do you access tax dollars? Well, you can access tax dollars by having government contracts, you know, such as, you know, buying or spending hundreds of millions of dollars on standardized tests, which don't work. Mm, I hated them. I'm and, just, just a quick caveat. I was never a good test taker and it caused me so much anxiety. Yeah. Every time a standardized test came up, mm-hmm. you give me a presentation to do, yeah. I'd kill it. Mm-hmm. I got straight hundreds on that stuff in high school and even yeah. in college. Could rock any presentation. Give me a little bit of time, do the research, put it together. Banger, right? Right. You put a standardized test in front of me where I'm filling out bubbles? I can't do that. But standardized testing is a politically expedient and easy, albeit utterly incorrect, answer to an incredibly complex question. Mm -hmm. What it boils down to is standardized testing, uh, for the most part, indicates socioeconomic status. Oh, you're poor? You're not going to do well. Oh, you're from Carmel? You're going to do better. And so... Standardized testing provides the data. These are the reasons we have. These these are the fuel, I should say, because there isn't really no reason, as in logic, behind it, why schools have grades, why districts have grades. Because you don't want to understand a situation. You want to soothe a symptom rather than heal the issue. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier to sell Mm -hmm. a product that is an instant snake oil than Mm -hmm. it is to say, wow, we really need to, you know, take a step back and see where we as a society are failing children. Mm-hmm. And they're like I, going back to, you know, prison construction, there's money to be made. Mm-hmm. You know, private prisons, huge amount of money to be made. I think I saw a graphic the other day where it cost about, what is it? On average, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year to educate a child and... Mm-hmm. About $31,000 to imprison an inmate. Where's the money? The money's in locking people up. That's sad. That's why you'll have minimum sentencing. That's sad. It's, it's money. That's so, but why, you, why, do, why do you think, why do you think Saudi Arabia and everything, the journalist killed? Mm-hmm. Oh, we got, we've got this huge multi billion dollar arms deal. Okay, it's cool. Never mind. It's money. That's ridiculous. Well, that's why when it's, when it's time to have an impact, the only way I can have an impact is by the people I interact with. Mm. Because I realize that I am such a small, insignificant speck. I can speak my mind, but as for the impact it might have, I am nothing. 
I, if I won the lottery, I'd start buying politicians. Really? That's what I would do. I'd say, okay, I'm going to fund your campaign. I'm going to fund your campaign because there's so much out of state money coming in to fund, like even in school boards, uh, like Indianapolis school board, Indiana, Indianapolis public schools, uh, a lot of outside money, uh, people interested in privatizing public schools. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, they funded the school board so they could hire a superintendent who was more open to the idea of, yeah, let's have some charter schools. Yeah. Let's, let's shut down this school. And then it's like, Oh, you invited them in and now they've taken everything. Mm. Now we're shutting down these high schools. Oh, the, the communities are upset. It's not about the communities. It's about making the money. It's about having the it's access the to those tax dollars through the children. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's maddening. It's frustrating. I'm getting upset thinking about it right now. But like I said, unless I have the money, I don't wield that influence. Fred Klipsch, Mitch Daniels, Mike Pence. Mitch Daniels took $300 million from public education from the budget annually or he took $300 million from the budget and never returned it. And he was the one who started the whole private, or he was a huge proponent of privatization, charter schools, vouchers, and Mike Pence pushed it even further. And so I love to teach. I love children. I detest the system in which David Long sends me his survey that says, oh, do you believe in leading this question, leading this question, leading this question? You're not interested in what I think. I'm not giving you all this money. I'm not influencing you. You have everything from the playbook of ALEC. ALEC is an organization which essentially is uh, legislation for dummies. Mm. Now, it's legislation for dummies in order to uh, ascertain tax dollars. Mm -hmm. So here's some uh, pre-written legislation. Uh, just put a little liquid paper on there or white out if you prefer. Put your name on it and submit it. Mm. And then you've got, you've got the reps down there. Who don't care because Indiana's gerrymandered, so they got job security. That's sad. Yeah, it's sick. And it's all at the expense of kids, and they're, I mean. Oh, no, it's, yeah, who cares? Who cares about kids? That's ridiculous. They're the future. But, uh, I yeah. mean, not to be that simplistic about it, but. No, the future isn't making money off the kids. The future is in determining what they want, what they like. You look at social media. Mm, I and, like, I can't remember which article it was, but basically. Facebook can tell after you have 30 likes, they can say, oh, this is your demographic. Mm -hmm. You know, we can, we can focus, we can focus marketing again. So what's it boil down to money? So let me switch to this. Then you, you mm -hmm. mentioned social media a few times, mm -hmm. especially the pressure it puts on young girls. We yeah. talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a great book. I'll reference it in the link below. Sure. Uh, it's insane to see how social media is affecting the actual chemicals in one's brain. Um, and their outlook on life, stress, everything. It's, it's a big deal. We're actually going to be doing an episode, uh, after this, mm -hmm. uh, with some people on that. So okay. stay tuned for that one. Um, but with social media, you, you're kind of seem a little bit anti towards it yet. I always see you posting on it. Uh, I know for me, it's definitely a drug at times where I'm just mm -hmm. infinitely scrolling or searching yeah. for likes, especially trying to run an account here, running yeah. an account for business. It, it's a lot, and it's definitely uh, the new way that people can market to you. You can direct it towards people. You can target. It's insane. Uh, but yet you're on it all the time. Do yeah. you, Does that ever bother you? It does. And, like, I I don't even have a business. My rap stuff, Sankova, that's, that's a hobby. Yeah. 
but I still want it to reach people. I want to make something that has an opportunity to, I don't know, mean something to people. Mm. And a way, an outlet for that is by having a Facebook page. Because that's where people are at? Right. By having an Instagram page. Like, I didn't even have one, what, six, seven years ago, and someone came up to me and said, hey, bro, I love your set. What's your Facebook page? I'm like, um, don't have one. Mm-hmm. So I made one that night, and then I got to like 500 likes, and then I shut wow. it down. And that was about the time that Arthur was born when I was stepping away from rap, because I'm like, you know, I'd much rather spend time with him mm-hmm. than set aside two hours, two and a half, three hours to write to a beat mm-hmm. and then find the peace and quiet in our house with a newborn mm-hmm. to record a song. And so I basically stepped away from it all. But then I started again. And with that came the interest in, oh, I want this to reach people. Mm-hmm. It means something to me. I'd like it to have the opportunity to reach someone else and possibly mean something to them. I wish I wasn't on it. It's it's a useful way to get pictures to family members mm-hmm. who aren't around, but I can always text them. Yeah, my family doesn't use it. My my dad, my mom, they're not on. Yeah, my mom. I bought. I I got my mom a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So my mom has an Instagram account. It's a private Instagram account. She has Facebook. I set that up for her. you. Know how it is with mm-hmm. parents. You mm-hmm. like set them up. It's like I imagine what programming VCRs was like back <laughs> in the day. I wish I wasn't on it. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I'm that same little lab rat, you know, going to whatever bottle with whatever dopamine kick is in there (laughs) and going and hitting that at the expense of actually living. Like I catch myself like I have so many ideas for songs right now and I'm working on so many different things that I hope to have out next year, like so many different projects. But by the same token, oh man, oh, I'm going to scroll through my Instagram. What am I doing? I want to make things. You know, that's How a, am I going to make things if I'm looking in this box? You know, that's a conversation that actually my family has here, my wife and I, and, and I'll include my little dog too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's are we consuming content just to consume and see what other people are doing in their lives? Or are we consuming content with the, that's cool and it inspires me to be a creator or to go create? I think there's a huge difference, especially in today's day and age, where you can go the route of, oh, I'm just consuming just to consume mm-hmm. or I want to create. Uh, somebody, I forget who it was and I wish I could remember the person. Um, either you're a consumer or you're a producer. Like those are the two routes that you have for things. (laughs) And it's, I think it's ever more true with the way that we do social media, the way we do phones It's you can either consume your life with Mm -hmm. everything that everybody else is doing, Mm -hmm. or you can choose to actively limit that and then make something. If it's social, if you make social media posts, great. Mm -hmm. If you make music, great. If you make videos, great. I don't even care if you make food. Like if you do farming and that's your jam yep. and that's your creation, go for it. But at least you're creating something. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like it's it's so ingrained in who I am. It almost sounds defeatist. Mm-hmm. But, oh, this is the best camera I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I love photography. Oh, and wouldn't you know, it happens to connect to this, which has me going back. Oh, did someone see this photo that I think is really good? I captured this moment of our son's lives. Mm-hmm. Does that ever bother you putting your kids on there so much? I know there's some people that only refer to their kids as like their first name, but you're you're straight up. Uh, 
It bothers me that I spend so much time on my phone. It doesn't bother me that I share my life with them mm-hmm. via the photographs, via social media. If there was some way or if I would muster up the self-discipline to just be like, okay, this is the amount of time I'm going to have on my phone and no excuses. Because just like any addiction, because I used to smoke like uh, backwoods aromatics, mm-hmm. you know, not with weed in them, just like smoke straight up backwoods aromatics. I'd be like, oh, you know, I, 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 oh, I, I think I, I think I better have one. Because mm-hmm. there will always be an excuse to return to enable oneself. Oh, it's got a phone. Oh, I lost my Roku remote. Oh, you know what? I have an app on here. So now that my sons are wanting to watch Netflix and have everything instantly accessible to them, I, oh my gosh, my phone happens to be open because I've got my Roku remote on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, mm-hmm. there's Instagram and oh, there's uh. Facebook and oh, There I go again, and I'm stuck in this box. I put myself in this box. Now, I can be a creator. I create on my phone. I get beats emailed to me. When I'm on my Wi-Fi, I download them to my phone. (laughs) I can even write on my phone. I still prefer to write with pen and paper because there's something about that that is fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I write on my phone. And if I'm writing on my phone and my phone happens to have access to this and this and this, then... More often than not, and unfortunately so, speaking just for myself, it's a very slippery slope until I've stuck myself in the box again. And I'm like, I want to make songs right now. What am I doing? No, I want to share this story with you. My wife and I were in uh, Disney Disney World, whatever the one is in Florida. Yeah, Disney World. Magic, right? Mm -hmm. It's magical. Yeah. Um, We're in Disney World. We don't have kids. It's just us. We're enjoying time together Mm -hmm. and we're with family, but it's our night to like, you know, date night and... Sure. Like, we're going to go see the new Toy Story, like, land. Uh-huh. Loved Toy Story as a kid. And yeah. We're standing in line for this ride and super excited. We're talking to each other, pointing out the stuff. And I look at the dude right in front of us. He's got, I don't know, probably similar to your age. Got sure. a little one similar to Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, second second grade, maybe? Yeah, he's second grade. Uh, second, maybe a third grader. Uh, and the kid's just, like, roaming around, bored. And I look up, and what's <laughs> dad doing? He, he started... With sending a picture of his son, mm-hmm. you know, let's dad, son, time, whatever. Sending a picture of his son to, I'm assuming, a family member. Sure. But then I look over the guy's shoulder, and yes, you can say that I'm rude for doing that and snooping. I don't care. Everybody does it at some point. Dude, or you he's catch holding a out a screen. You yes. don't have an expectation. You don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy at that point. Right. So I look up. He's playing like that bejeweled or crossy word or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, you're in... Disney World, yeah. at Toy Story Land with playing a kid some stupid game. playing a game. And your kid, all your kid wants is your attention. Do you know how long we stood in that line for? We stood in that line for a solid 35 minutes. Not once did he give his kid any attention. Man. Not once. The, the whole time he's sitting on his phone playing a game. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you are... So, it, I don't want to... There could be extenuating circumstance. I don't know. For me, if we're sitting down and we're doing something or if we're creating or if I'm spending time with a loved one and it's like we're in a place like that, even if it's at the dinner table, can you not have enough respect for the people that you're with to be with them instead of going to the, as you called it, that square box? Yeah, it's a life box. This portal to everybody else. Mm -hmm. To me, that's saying, personally at least, to me, that's saying you are not nearly as important as everything else going on everywhere else. Yeah. Well, I mean... When Jen and I were first together, she had a cell phone. I didn't. And as I referenced earlier, she was the conduit. She was the connector, the Mm -hmm. hub of social. And people would start calling her. 
for, you know, try to get a hold of me because mm-hmm. I didn't have a cell phone. So she got me a cell phone and I remember how much, like, I didn't want a cell phone. I was adamant I wasn't going to get a cell phone because it'd be like a leash. And that was before smartphones. Mm. And now I don't have a leash. I got a leash and a dog kennel and a fence. <laughs> you got a and man, I keep shot building I, I keep I keep building that fence with every photo I post and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and You know what we should do? And uh I think who somebody started on YouTube is like sober October. Okay. Um and give up social media next October for the entire month. Yeah. Start a thing in Fort Wayne. You you post the, like one thing on October first or whatever to say that you're doing it. No, no, don't don't even do don't that. Don't even do that. Well, I, I see so many people like yeah, man. Peace out, Facebook. It's been real. Or, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm done with Instagram. Like, I'll step away every once in a while for like some time. But to me, and this is just the way I, I approach things, even though I rap and I teach and as such, I am a focal point, I do not like to draw attention to myself. Mm. I would much rather be invisible and blend in the background. And these self-pronouncements of we're leaving join us in leaving like look at me like i i jokingly screen cap someone's because i thought it was so preposterous Hmm. you know like i'm taking an insta vacay or whatever it was and i posted it thinking like a satire like this is stupid someone's posting to social media to say they're not going to be on social media and then all these people like yeah good for you man i'm like no, this is this is satire. This is poking fun at the practice. Sorry, I miscommunicated this message. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll take a week off. Yeah, but anyway, I think it'd be phenomenal. Whether whichever way it is, just yeah. to t- push Fort Wayne for that. I think it'd be healthy for the city. Push people for that. Yeah. I mean, how many how many times do you need to know that I was eating bravas? How many times do you know that I was drinking Dr Pepper? Like, you know these things are going to happen. How, oh, he got another pair of shoes? Mm-hmm. I'm shocked. Mm-hmm. You know, people by this point know who I am. I'm a known quantity. Mm-hmm. My, public ed, my public education posts are not going to shock anyone. Mm-mm. This is not going to change anyone's mind. But somehow I feel I'm being heard, so I'm important. And I, mm-hmm. and I have affirmation because I have a like, or maybe someone shared this, so it means something. Mm-hmm. Deep man, so a deep um, pit, deep pit. That's for sure. Uh, so you definitely have a love for people beyond just the the social media likes. Um, and I know for me personally, I don't. I'm not from Fort Wayne. I wasn't one of those mm-hmm. people that were born and raised here. Uh, moved here from the East Coast. And actually, funny enough, my parents are from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So we visited LA frequently. I know all sure. the places you're talking about. Um, they reside in San Diego now. Uh, oh, I'm jealous of the warm weather. Yeah, my uncle was the uh, assistant chief of police in San Diego when they mm. had the Super Bowl there. So oh, yeah. he was in charge of security for the Super Bowl when it was in San Diego. That's cool. Yeah, he since did the Copland thing and retired to like some bucolic place in Oregon nice. where he was a head chief of police or whatever and then retired. Now he, he and his he and my aunt visit wineries and stuff. So I've learned to call Fort Wayne home. And I say learned. I, my first year here, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also didn't go meet people. I didn't learn people. I didn't hang out with people. It was literally me going to class, mm-hmm. going home, and going to bed. That well, was that it. That reminds me. If, can I interject? Yeah, please do. Because this, uh, this reminds me, like, when I was filming Shoes and Movies, you know, I'm doing this stuff and talking about rap and talking about shoes and talking about movies. Well, what happened is some um, people in the local hip-hop scene... Uh, they're like, they, 
one of their friends is like, hey, there's this dude on public access and he's talking about rap and stuff. And like, yeah. we don't know who this dude is. So they went down to uh, Access Fort Wayne. They're like, yeah, who's the guy making this show? And they talked to someone and was like, oh, that's uh, Steven. Da, 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 da. And then eventually we met up and hung out. And it was from me film, me being lonely mm-hmm. and bored doing silly stuff, you know, with a one camera show that I became connected with the local scene. That's so that awesome. was that was my conduit was me being utterly bored yeah. and silly. But then you meet people. And the woman they ended up talking to was my mom who was volunteering there. What? Yeah. So I started meeting people, you started meeting people, and for me, it's the people here that really keep me and my family here. We love mm-hmm. it. Obviously, you got a wife, kids, you're yeah. in the school system. Mm-hmm. But it for me that the favorite my most favorite thing about Fort Wayne is you have great food, you have great venues like Middle Waves. Sure. You have people that are doing cool things, but mm-hmm. it's beyond just beyond just the successful business stories, beyond the successful boutiques, yeah. beyond the rap shows at the rail. Mm-hmm. It it really is the people that we can go hang out with and connect with and make me stay here. Would you say that's true for you? Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, having family here and I love what the city has to offer as far as being someone who has a family. Mm-hmm. Like our Science Central, you know, the zoo, the botanical, you know, hiking the trails, going to Lindenwood Cemetery, like all these all these cool things I can do with my family. Man, I really wish I didn't trail off on these things. No, you're good. <laughs> it's, it's a, I mean, I guess oh, I'm the trying. People. Yeah, the people are phenomenal. But what is it about Fort Wayne that gets you excited? I mean, we're growing. We have sweet people. It's You're involved in a couple of different scenes. What is it about Fort Wayne that's making you excited right now? What excites me about Fort Wayne is the same thing that really impressed my buddy Tom when he came out, John Doe, mm-hmm. when we had a album release party in like 2011. And he came to that show and, you know, he's San Luis Obispo, lived in Los Angeles, all this stuff. And that night to, for him to see, you know, one of my, who I consider one of my old friends now for him. And he came to me, he's like, man, you know, all these different people and they're so supportive of what you do. And I feel that is a huge part of Fort Wayne is that interconnected nature and people supporting each other in their pursuits. And I mean, there aren't that many, you know, there weren't that many like rap people at that show. It was, it was friends. It was that network of friends. I mean, it was, it was going from my, the, the relationships that I developed, you know, piggybacking off of Jen and the relationships in the local rap scene. But of course, Jen knowing so many people, Pretty much everyone I ever met knew Jen Mm -hmm. in some form or another. But just the relationships and having so many people and being supportive of each other. There's not that competitive cutthroat like, oh, man, if I I help you, you're going to succeed and it's going to cost me my success. Mm -hmm. There's not that. There doesn't. I don't feel that ego. So you say it's more genuine then. Yeah. People are really real. I'd, I'd say it's I'd say it's that people want to help each other. Mm. People want to work together. There's like, as I referenced in the acapella, there was the whole uh, My City mm-hmm. song that came out. And everyone is a... I remember that. Disco agaga agog over it. And one of the people who piggybacked off it ended up... Now he's essentially an Instagram model somewhere in California. Huh. So I'm like, 
oh, this is my city. So that's why I say in the acapella, our city. Yeah. Because it is a reference to that because it does not belong to me. No. It does not belong to you. It belongs to us because we are all a part of it. We are all contributing in different ways, but we are all a part of it. Mm. And it's being mindful, going back to your first question, how do, how do I hope to make an impact, of being mindful that I am not the only person. I am not the only person in this room. I am not the only person at my place of work. I am not my only person at a particular show or a venue. There are other people, and each of those people can have an impact. And I want to make sure that I remain humble enough to recognize that I am not the center of attention. Now, at the end of a show, people may be chanting, San Kova, San Kova. You know, and part of me is like, yeah, that's cool. But to not get caught up in that and think that I am bigger than I am. I want to make sure my feet are on the ground. I want to make sure that everyone knows that I respect them. Dude, I don't think we can finish on a better note. That's phenomenal. I agree 100%, and I respect you so much. Uh, I... I I want to keep talking for like another two hours and go deeper and deeper and deeper into this stuff. But I, I didn't, there's nothing I can say that's going to top that, man. There's, can I give a shout out to my uh, best coworker ever? Yeah, dude, please do. Uh, shout out whatever you need to do. Do the thing. This, this is usually the segment where it's, I, I, you know, I got to say the standard. Thank you, Sweetwater Sound for providing some sweetest said gear. Sweetest of waters. Sweetest of waters. Give me the gear. Giving the great sound. No. The dulcet tone microphone. <laughs> I mean, they did hook up some of the gears here. So yeah, no, it, it's I, super good. I have never sounded better. No, awesome. It, it may be the Dr. Pepper and the Sweetwater sound. Yeah. Coming together. Yeah, there you go. No, but uh, in all seriousness, I am so thankful for where I am in life as a husband, as a father, as a teacher. I am fortunate in that I am able to pursue my hobby of rap without it needing to be a vocation Mm -hmm. because I have fulfillment in other parts of my life. I would like to have that balance. I'm thankful and incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to have a job I love. Mm -hmm. There are parts of my job I do not love, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, I am so thankful to be where I am, working with children, working with the people with whom I work at Whitney Young, which is hashtag best school of ever. Remember the of. But the shout out goes to Miss Vicky, who is my team teacher. Her official title is classroom assistant. But something Arthur, our seven-year-old, came up with probably back when he was like four as we were helping in the garden. And he said, Dad, we are teamwork. and. That is always the approach that I've had with Miss Vicky. Miss Vicky is, her, her title is assistant. She's not a classroom assistant. She is a team teacher. Mm. And I feel that what we were able to do in our time with children is so powerful. And I could not do that without her. Mm. And so, I mean, yeah, thanks to family members and all that other stuff. But I am so fortunate to have everything that I do. And then I have everything that I do in Fort Wayne. I have no desire whatsoever to go beyond Fort Wayne. I've traveled, I've traveled the world. I got insecure. I slept on people's couches. I want, I need home. This is my home. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. It's been a blast. Uh, I would say, where can people find you? But I'm going to leave that off based on some of our other discussions on Instagram. <laughs> people, uh, can, people can find me on the Google. On the Google. They find, can find, find you at the rail. Find, find me on the MySpace. I mean, they can find you what? Let's let a couple of local shout outs here. They can find you at the Brass Rail. They can find you at Bravas, <laughs> Wondercomer. 
uh, in the 07. They can find me at the Botanical with my sons. They there can find me at the, as Arthur would call it, the Fort Wayne Art Museum of Art. <laughs> uh, they can find me at uh, Science Central as Arthur is pedaling furiously on the bike to generate all the lights. I love it. Yeah. Dude, I'll awesome. be around. Awesome. It's been a blast having you on. And honestly, I hope to have you on again. Thank uh, you. Be a repeat, repeat guest here. So special shout out. Thank you, Sweetwater. We mentioned earlier, uh, awesome gear. Uh, we've been appreciative of it so far and we hope to keep putting it to good use. Thank you for your time. Thank uh, you. Steven, it's been phenomenal. Thank you to your wife for letting you go for Yes. Thank you, Jen, for uh, giving me permission she's to phenomenal. Uh, complete this. Um, and thank you to uh, my wife for actually taking our little fur dog. So she doesn't. Yeah. Know, I was, I was, noise. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was like, man, what is it? Is there like dog Benadryl or something? Yes. Like, yes. How, how was this miracle possible? Yes. So, uh, just thank you to everybody that helped out here and made it, made it possible. And thank you for your time, man. It's been a blast. Thank you. We'll see you. All right. Deal. Peace. <laughs>